This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Glad to be with you this morning. Coming up this hour, Chicago is divesting from fossil fuel companies as a national proposal requires companies to disclose their carbon footprint to investors. What role does climate finance play in the fight against climate change? We'll dig into it. Plus, with electric vehicle sales on the rise, the race is on to build a network of convenient, affordable charging stations and to do it fairly. We check in with the Argonne National Laboratory on its efforts to get chargers in disadvantaged communities. But first, the United Nations reports that upwards of 4 million people have fled Ukraine since Russia first attacked their country. Back in January, Russian officials assured the world that they had no intentions of invading Ukraine. But by the end of February, they'd done just that. Now Russian forces pledge to pull out of Ukrainian cities. Will they uphold this promise? With us today to discuss the new developments is President of the Kiev Mohala Foundation of America and Vice President of the Ukrainian Congress Committee, Illinois Division, Marta Farian. Welcome back, Marta. Thank you for asking me to be on. Pleasure to be here. Marta, you, you still have a lot of friends and, and family and colleagues over in Ukraine. What is top of mind for you as this war persists? Well, I'm uh, obviously very, very worried, and I am worried especially because my friends, most of my friends, and definitely all of my family members are refusing to leave. I realize that 10% of the population has left already, but most of these people are from the east of Ukraine, where they are being targeted by Putin. But my family and friends are in Kiev and Lviv uh, on the western side, Mm -hmm. and they are all saying that they're there to defend their country and defend their homes, and they don't want to be displaced. And I'm particularly worried about the university faculty and students because so many of them are now fighting in the uh, military and on the front, and obviously there were two students already that have uh, been killed, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's very worrisome, obviously. Yeah. Talk to us more about your um, foundation, the, the Kiev Mohala Foundation of America. Well, it is, it sounds like a strange name, but uh, the university is named after its founder of from uh, 1615, which means that uh, that the university was founded years before the first pilgrims uh, came to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's over 400 years old. And his name was Petro Mohila. So the university is named after him. And the university was closed most of the 20th century by the Soviet authorities. And then it was reestablished in 1991 after the fall of the Soviet Union. And we uh, and many of the supporters of the university founded the foundation to assist this university because it is considered the Harvard of Ukraine. It is uh, the university that has pushed every government for Uh, reforms and autonomy, but not only in the academic sector, but reforms in the country for democracy and freedom. So its students and uh, faculty were first on the streets during the Orange Revolution in 2004 and also Maidan Revolution in 2014, and now they are there in the army, 
in the volunteer battalion mm-hmm. and also massively uh, serving as translators for the many, many journal- journalists that uh, descended on Ukraine from all over the world. So uh, that's kind of a background of the university. And the current ambassadors of Ukraine to the United States and Canada are both women who are graduates of this university. So I am very, very proud of being associated with such an effort. Russia has um, pledged to drastically reduce its military assault on Kyiv and Cherniev as a, a shift in strategy. Has that actually happened? Well, you know, we heard about Putin's offer to pull back his troops from around Chernihiv and Kiev. But, frankly, you don't ask for peace negotiations when you're winning. You do it when you see that things are getting tough and you're losing too many people. He thought he would conquer Ukraine and take over the government in three days. And we're now over a month, and his ground forces are really struggling. However... The world should not believe what Putin says. I think that he can't be trusted with anything he says or signs. And um, there should not be any concessions to his criminal acts. Besides, uh, we uh, saw that right after he made uh, his side, made the statements about peace talks and pulling back, Mm -hmm. they bombed uh, the suburbs of Lviv. Um, in the west and of Kiev in the center of the city. So they speak from both sides of their mouth, and we would be foolish to believe what they're saying. You know, Russia also says it's it's carrying out a special operation to disarm and denazify its neighbor. What do they mean by this, Marta? Well, you know, I think that... Uh, the the KGB has been specializing in information warfare and disinformation since the 1930s. And Putin, obviously, having been a master of the KGB in the past, he understands how powerful disinformation is. I think that by now everyone uh, is dismissing his claims to say that uh, Ukrainians are Nazis when they elected a Jewish president with, like, an 87% majority, I think on its face it falls flat. It's ridiculous. And, again, he has been uh, promoting uh, disinformation in Ukraine, in Russia, to his own people all the time. And he's been promoting disinformation in Europe and in the United States. Obviously, his the purpose is to divide these countries, yeah. to cause uh, chaos. What other Russian examples can you give us of propaganda that we're seeing? Well, obviously, he's been uh, promoting the idea that, uh, first and foremost, the fact that Ukrainians really want to be part of Russia that Ukraine is persecuting Russian speakers. I think that we can all see that now he uh, he managed to unite all Ukrainians, Russian speakers, Ukrainian speakers, people of all religious persuasions. 
The country does not want to exist under a dictatorship. People don't want to go back to living under the Soviet Union, which is what he's trying to do. So that uh, piece of propaganda fell flat, uh, especially because his people were afraid to tell him the truth, and he was convinced that Ukraine would fall within three to five days. Mm -hmm. And now we are way beyond a month, and his troops are retreating on the ground. Uh, We've been seeing cases of his own soldiers saying that they didn't know they were being sent to uh, Ukraine to fight a war. They don't want to uh, shoot and kill their own uh, brothers and sisters, so to speak. And uh, it's a problem. He is winning uh, from the sky, let's say, because he is able to aim uh, uh, missiles intentionally at civilians, at children, at schools, at maternity wards. We've all seen this, these horrors Mm -hmm. on the screen. But we need the United States, obviously, uh, to send strong uh, anti-missile weapons. But as far as the land war, Ukraine is winning, and I'm so proud of the people of Ukraine and the armed forces of Ukraine. But I'd like to say that we are so thankful to the United States Congress, the bipartisan support for Ukraine, and to the United States for sending all the help that they're sending, and also uh, very thankful to the Polish government and the Polish people, and even the Hungarians, the Slovaks, for taking in almost 4 million refugees. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we are awaiting refugees to come to the United States, and we in Chicago are ready to receive them. Yeah, a lot of anger there, but also a lot of pride in your country. This is Reset. I am Sasha Ann Simons. And if you are just tuning in, we're discussing the latest developments in Ukraine with Marta Farian of the Kiev Mohala Foundation of America and the Ukrainian Congress Committee, Illinois Division. Marta, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I want to bring another voice to the conversation. Joining us now is John Huco, who's General Secretary and Chief Executive Officer of Rotary International and the Rotary Foundation. Welcome back, John. Sasha, it's great to, great to be with you again. You know, it's been a little while since we last spoke. Tell us, are your cousins still over in Ukraine? Um, they're still there. They're, um, most of my family is uh, near a city called Ternopil in western Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can just, you know, I stay in regular touch with them, obviously. And I can, every phone call, I can just sense the the tension, the desperation, the fear. Uh, psychologically, it's it's taking on a huge, it's taking on a huge toll. Uh, my daughter, who's currently living in, in Paris, she's going to be heading over to Krakow in, in Poland this weekend to uh, to volunteer and to help with the refugees. And she's going to check in on my one of my cousins, his uh, daughter-in-law and grand. A child, or we're able to get out, or in Kharkiv, so she's going to check in with them, and and uh, they're kind of running out of money, and to see and see what she can do to help. And yeah. I've got also a very close friend who had to put his 17-year-old son on a train. We were able to get him into into Krakow. She'll check in on him as well. But very difficult, oh, uh, boy. especially since some of the surrounding cities, Lutsk, Ivano-Frankivsk, of course, Lviv, 
widely reported the missile strikes. It's uh, yeah, a tough situation. Very difficult. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Uh, John, a, a moment ago, I was talking with Marta about, uh, you know, Russia sort of carrying, uh, saying that it's it's carrying out this this operation to uh, disarm and denazify its neighbor. Is this Russian messaging working? Like, are people believing or even agreeing with this? Well, certainly, no one in the West is. At least, no one in the West who isn't watching television or radio and reading the newspapers. I mean, it's just uh, the whole pretext for the war was 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 false. Uh, it's, this whole denazification thing is, is one of the most absurd statements made by, by a country in, in a long time. I mean, you have a president who's Jewish, and earlier you had the Ukrainian president and prime minister both being Jewish, or two countries in the world that had a president and prime minister who were Jewish, and that's Israel and Ukraine. So the whole denazification thing is, 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 uh, is absurd. Um, but I think it does raise the question, Sasha, as to, you know, how does one uh, end this this conflict. And, mm-hmm. and for me, and perhaps I'm going to make a fairly strong statement here, but I think President Biden was spot on when he talked about the need for for, for Putin uh, to go. And I think ultimately that is how we're going to resolve this this conflict. And, um, and I think it's also going to have to engender, in my view, a, a real deep look into the mirror by, by Russian society, Russian elites, Russian people, uh, to sort of ask the question, how did we as a country get to this point where we have had 22 years of basically dictatorship authoritarianism? Yeah. Uh, how did we you know, get to the point where we have no free press, uh, no you know, complete sort of information lockdown? Uh, what we did in Syria, what we did in Georgia, uh, this unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Mar- Marta was talking about, you know, sort of fellow Slavs and, uh, and this now scorched earth policy of destroying city after city after city, leveling them. Uh, and, uh, you know, relatives in Ukraine calling their relatives in Russia and uh, they're getting bombed as they speak to them. And their relatives in Russia are saying that's all a lie. Your government is doing with this to you. Uh, and I think for me, one of the most shocking things in terms of the disinformation campaign that Russia is running is that drone, that drone image of Mariupol. Mm-hmm. It looks like Hiroshima after the Second World War, and it's been widely shown on Western television. Well, Russian state TV plays that image and claims that this is a Nazi-led Ukrainian government destroying its own cities. And so how does a society get to that point? And I think there's got to be a really deep reflection looking in the mirror by, by Russian society, not only in terms of getting rid of Putin, but also thinking through how do we get this place? And even worse, Sasha, and 70% of the people, according to certain opinion polls in Russia, support this invasion. So I think that's really, the, hmm. for me, the fundamental question is, how is Russian society going to evolve and react to this, not only in terms of dealing with Putin, but doing that sort of deep look into the mirror uh, yeah. and, and sort of thinking this stuff through? Well, in the minute I have left with you, John, give us an update on uh, Rotary International's humanitarian efforts. Last time we talked, you had raised over $1 million in just three days for refugees there. Well, we're now up to almost $6 million. Uh, We've had oh, great. incredible outpouring of support from Rotarians all around the world. Uh, we've uh, and we're beginning to now obviously disperse this money to our Rotary clubs uh, in Ukraine and in the various frontline districts. And we're also seeing obviously all of the uh, other European countries stepping up uh, as the refugees start passing through the frontline countries into places like Germany and Italy and Spain and Greece and other places. I've been extraordinarily proud of our organization, uh, how Rotarians have stepped up not only financially but also in terms of on-the-ground help to deal with this extraordinary uh, humanitarian crisis, which is unfolding. And, uh, you know, and as one thinks about this crisis, one of the things that sort of really struck me as I'm looking at this, Sasha Ann, is that 90 percent 
of the refugees who have crossed the border have been women and children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Largely because the, the, the men can't leave between 19 and 60, and, and many are staying back to fight, etc. And so the, the number of families that have been ripped apart is absolutely extraordinary. And yeah. then all the issues of child trafficking and everything that were already a problem prior to the war, I mean, those things don't go away. And so, um, yeah. you know, there's an awful lot to be done. And, and again, I'm, I'm extremely proud of, uh, of, of our, my organization, our organization, Rotary, and what we've done to step up and help. It was John Huco of Rotary International and the Rotary Foundation. John, your your family is in our thoughts and prayers. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.